This is Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Matt, and that's not Ryan. It's Jordan. Jordan. Hey! No matter what you say, no matter what you do, I just can't fall in love with you because you're not him. She's not him. (laughs) Uh, If you you recognize those lyrics, um, I'm very surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Has this one not been covering itself in commercial glory? I thought she was a big deal. Uh, I mean, I think she is a big deal, but this is... uh, Well, you know, I don't know. I guess about the the chart performance... um, Let's see what the uh, let's see what the Billboard uh, U.S. Billboard. Oh, I guess it would reach number the the album really reached number five on the Billboard 200. So you might actually know you might actually know the song after all. Um, we are t- talking about Younger now, uh, the 2017 release by Miley Cyrus, and this kind of caps off an arc for us in a number of respects. It caps off the uh, the uh, 2017 uh, female-driven pop uh, arc with um, uh, Taylor Swift and Kesha, uh, and it, it, it caps off an arc that we didn't even know that we were doing, which is the Dolly Parton guesting on your album. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's you should qualify that the white blonde haired uh, female driven pop arc, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. Um, though I don't know what uh, what Miley's hair is like these days. It's in her uh, sort of retro pompadour on the front. It you know she's back to being a brunette, and uh, you know I imagine day to day it might be it might be a little different. But sure, white girl, white girl pop for sure is yeah. what uh, uh, is what we were. Um, what the the arc that we are are capping off and it's an interesting i mean it's an interesting thing i mean i think there are a couple of interesting things about this one is the sort of the relationship of pop and country right like on the last couple albums we talked about uh we talked about taylor swift and kesha doing kind of mirror image career trajectories kesha from like very commercial pop into something like country uh, and Taylor Swift from pretty pretty solidly Nashville to very commercial pop, and uh, Miley Cyrus is is a similar thing though she seems to have gone back and forth, and I mean because her early records were still kind of inflected by the the Disney machine. I'm not sure what exactly to call them, but when she uh, you know when uh, she entered the phase of what Pitchfork calls Ratchet Miley, uh, the <laughs> Which, charming pitchfork, just, just charming. Uh, yeah, uh, they do, uh, you know, with bangers, um, bangers, which was, you know, whatever you think of her persona, was full of bangers, right? Like, was a totally competently uh, executed pop record, dance pop record, and uh, onto the the just the bizarre psychedelia, self indulgent. Um, you know, Flaming Lips collaboration on Miley Cyrus and her dead pets. This is supposed to be a kind of a kind of return to form, a sort of reclaiming of identity or, uh, or a, like a, a sort of emerging, a, uh, an emerging adulthood um, and a declaration of something, a, a kind of independence uh, in the same way that Rainbow was. And to a certain to a certain extent, in the same way that 
that reputation is though the the circumstances and, and the particulars are all um a little bit different in uh in all three now jordan when when i asked you if you felt like covering uh the latest record by miley cyrus do you recall your immediate reaction um hmm I remember that we were discussing... <laughs> probably like typical fucking rather, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I figured that it was very on on message for uh, for TFT. You know, Miley has a record out. How are you guys not going to cover it? And I remember that in the back channel, you sort of suggested some other things that we might do instead. Um, and I think that I kind of like, I kind of tried to play it like maybe I was a little bit too cool for Miley. Uh, like, oh, you mean we could actually do a good record instead? But in my heart of hearts, once Miley had been proffered, I knew that was what I was going to do because it just seemed unthinkable that that this podcast would not cover whatever it is that she's doing. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is. She's one of those people like uh, like John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats, who's, uh, you know, manifest uh, songwriting. You know, if the, if the New Yorker called uh, uh, John Darnielle America's best non-hip hop lyricist, and I think Miley has got to be number two. You know, <laughs> well, yeah. I have to say though. So, like, one of the things that uh, I can't remember now um, what the album was that I was considering. I guess it was the St. Vincent that I was like, oh, do we do good music or crap, or good music or crap? And I feel like Miley impressed me a lot on this. Okay, it was a lot. A lot better than I thought it was going to be. That's it. That's interesting. Yeah, I want. I want to. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I sort of want to talk about that and dive dive into the uh, dive into the the things. I mean, so um, we sometimes talk about the occasional use of music, like what what you should be doing while you listen to this record. And I and I, you know, Jordan, I don't know if you have any uh, recommendations, but I I will tell you that I've been listening to it on my commute. Um, unusual, uh, unusual for Los Angeles. I have a train commute where I walk, you know, five minutes to a train station, take a, uh, you know, urban light rail, uh, and walk five minutes to, uh, my office. And then I do the reverse in the evening. And this is like, this is definitely a good, uh, commute record. There's something, you know, um, there's something about the actually if you listen to the first half you know if you have like a 20 25 minute commute if you listen to the first half on the uh on the morning commute where it's like driving you and getting you uh you know getting you ready to face the day and the second half which is a little more country and a little more um uh, a little more reflective uh it 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 gets you ready to kind of wind down uh and uh and be ready for the evening i mean were were there any uh memorable um coincidences of uh what you were doing while you were listening to this that, that you recall while you were preparing this record you know i found that i tried to listen to it while i was grading papers um and it's fine for that but if it's music that if you allow yourself to tune it out I find that you will tune it out pretty completely. So I think it would be better for, if you want to give it an honest chance, like wash dishes, commute, one of these things where like you, you have to be doing something um, and would rather occupy your mind for something else. You know, like podcasting time, I think of it. At, at these <laughs> points. Or not podcasting, but, but to be podcast-dead too. Uh, I think that it would actually work well in that kind of context. Sure. Um, that's, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely right. Like you want 
to uh, uh, you, it it will disappear, right? If you uh, put your focus, um, even you know, moderately on something else, something that that requires it. It's not a lot of the songs on Bangers were very insistent about uh, about claiming your attention, and this one is definitely not uh, definitely not that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it feels sort of, sort of like madness to say this, but it's an album that rewards close attention. <laughs> like, you'll definitely get more out of it if you actually listen with the primary intention of listening, rather than like if you try to dance to it or try to make out to it or try to like you know have it on in the background or anything like that. Sure. Well, all right, you go, uh, you go do your own um, behavioral psychology exper- uh, experiments with uh, your time and attention and how you can best listen to uh, to my. Cyrus, we've given you some ideas. Uh, commuting, washing dishes, making out—you um, can add your own to that and send your experimental results to us in the comments. Go ahead and listen to the record and uh, put us on pause. We'll be here when you get back after this word from our commercial sponsor. Hey, Matt, are you making records? Uh, so many records. So many records. Are you making? Are you making records that are country or at least country adjacent? Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I'm way into roots music. Do you feel like maybe you don't quite have the country credibility that you want, or maybe that you once did? I mean, for God's sake, I grew up in Los Angeles. Then let me recommend hiring Dolly Parton to be on your record because apparently she'll just do it. I, I didn't realize she was available. Yeah, for money. She, if you uh, if you pay her scale, she'll sing. If you pay her scale and a half, she will give you sort of ad lib, off the cuff voice messages to make it seem like she, Dolly Parton, is your close personal friend. <laughs> wow! Thanks, Dolly Parton. Uh, I want to get her to record my outgoing voicemail message. Dolly Parton slash authenticity. <laughs> it's what's hip. <laughs> and we are back all right let's uh let's just talk i I might have asked a question but let's just talk about uh um let's just talk about dolly parton for a second because like every time dolly parton guests on a record that we cover it is an excuse for me to go deep into the rabbit hole of like uh, associative youtubing of dolly parton songs and that woman is a national treasure like she is a she is a hero uh she is a genius and she is a national treasure and i will not Brooke, a single bad word uh, said about Dolly Parton. Um, but I, I don't think that's what you were doing. You were talking about the cynical use of her uh, in this context, right? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. It's, I feel like it's kind of cynical. I feel like... Um... No, she is, she is a uh, little fun <laughs> fact. She is Miley Cyrus's godmother. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. There's <laughs> actually, like, Billy Ray uh, asked Dolly to be, to be Miley's uh, godmother. So they might actually have a relationship. That's interesting. I th- yeah, I um, think I think they might. But there was definitely a sense in which on and what we're talking about is the the uh, kind of the bumpers in and out of Rainbow Land, which are these like voicemail messages from Dolly Parton, who is utterly charming, uh, talks about having a flip phone, you know, and uh, ends up talking about, uh, you know, it, Miley, if you don't like this song, I'll write you that love song I've been promising you about some boy you like with the uh kind of leaning leaning into the drawling vowels on those uh on those words um but i it was 
very clear to me that these were sort of like uh, notionally private communications that were being played, you know, and that Dolly Parton was never less than 100% performing Dolly Parton, uh, you know, the whole time that that she was she was communicating these these notionally private communications. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like either either they were actually just voice messages, in which case Dolly Parton must be a great person to be friends with. Um, because she never breaks character, or they were like um, thinly, well, not thinly. They were like uh, they were bits, right? And if they're bits, then she absolutely committed to the bit and sold it one hundred percent. This is so, yeah, I, yeah I mean, there's it's it's the the best hip hop skit on a non hip hop album uh, yeah. in in uh, twenty seventeen for sure, right? Yeah, and there's an interesting resonance to, I don't think it's the the most recent Taylor Swift, right? There's like the Taylor Swift but one where the last track is like her voice message to the producer, right? Yeah, this, it's uh, you're talking about 1989 on the deluxe edition. She includes, by way, of, by way of letting you into her songwriting process, which was not a thing that I was super, uh, I, I had ever been a great desire of mine, but apparently there had been enough demand for it that she included uh what she does and 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 you know she sort of sends uh voice memos she like records voice memos on her iphone and then like emails them off to the various uh to the various producers that she works with that contain like high level instructions and the thing like the thing that that the uh our sort of anal- analysis of this was that this is like executive uh uh behavior right and like actually on her latest record reputation um taylor swift is gets a uh producing credit uh on it but she is listed as the executive producer mm. of uh of the record and i mean that seems that seems like it's uh it seems like it's accurate she's uh so she and it was a little bit like you know gladys take a memo you know max mm-hmm. martin max martin take a memo i want to yeah, yeah. you know i want to dank you know low key vibe for uh um what uh let's get out of this town drive out of the city away from the crowd what's the what's the hook you're so hard handsome yeah uh oh wildest dreams um the uh <laughs> sorry i had to actually had to sing through the whole verse in my head to get through the to get to to what the title of the song was um and the, you know, I don't know. And this is like apparently like Dolly sang. I mean, now of course it's not. That's not the track that we hear because you know Rainbowland is is profes- professionally produced. It's not the like the Dolly Parton lo-fi cassette dub of Rainbowland, though. You know, I that is something that I would actually pay money to buy, preferably on mm-hmm. cassette. Uh, but but uh, yeah. So so uh, Jordan, I have a question. Ah uh, yes, let's let's do it. This uh, this Miley Cyrus is she younger yeah. now? Hmm. I think that uh, in that the laws of thermodynamics are laws, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think that uh, the the contention that she should be younger is politically loaded and really interesting. And I do think that the case that she has accurately revisited some chapter of her youth is a fairly strong one. 
although not not ironclad. Okay. So, so no, but yes. So three part three parts to that, right? Like one one the the first one is that like time zero only you know, points in one direction, right? That, that it's not kind of like what goes up must come down. Uh, not your age, your age is not like a bouncing ball, you know, that, uh, mm-hmm. that crashes back down to earth after, after being inflated. Um, though, yeah, the, the, and the kind of the metaphorical languages of the song is all over the place. Like feels like I just woke up, uh, like all this time I've been asleep. um, like so language about dreams or what goes up must come down or uh changes a thing that you can count on what she says is i feel so much younger now and that uh you know that like uh and i wonder if that's like a, a sense of like being released from cares or being released from some sort of pressures uh that she didn't um you know, that she didn't in the end want to, uh, uh, want to carry. Um, but the second one is the, the contention that she should be younger. Now you say is a political one. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that, uh, what this record seems to represent is a very conscious backing off, uh, from the sort of, uh, I would have said hip hop Miley, but the ratchet Miley persona and an attempt to kind of like, in some sense, recapture the country-ish Miley uh, that her very earliest music kind of inhabits, right? Yeah. When she was when she was Miley, daughter of Billy Ray, rather than uh, w- when he was Billy Ray, the father of Miley. Um, so she's kind of like regressing to that, and it, it seems I don't know if, how long this has been in the works, but it definitely feels like this is the the Trumpist. Miley, right? Not that it's a pro-Trump record by any stretch of the imagination, but like, I could imagine a world where, um, you know, right after Election Day 2016, the team of producers that manage Miley's uh, image like got together and like, oh man, we totally miscalculated the way that the country is going. Our girl needs to get a country record out, stat, right? Um, and I feel like that's that's kind of the calculus of it. Now, I don't think that this is really quite a country record. And I feel like to the degree that there's any political commitments that the music has, it's still fairly fairly left-leaning or at least kind of like egalitarian. But there are these interesting ways in which it, it is like stepping back. And uh, that, that lyric, right, no one stays the same, you know what goes up must come down, change is a thing you can count on, right? It's really interesting to think of that from the point of the apex of that arc, right? Like you throw an arc, throw a ball into the air and you're saying that everything changes, but what you can count on is that it's going to change back into what it was initially, right? So you can either think that from the point of view of the ball that's up in the air, well, I know that I'm not going to stay here. I have to fall back down. It also maybe means kind of in, in contradiction Change is a thing that you can count on. If change was a thing that you can count on, then when Miley changed from adorable Hannah Montana Miley to, you know, bangers era, uh, scantily clad Miley, that that would be a like a one way street. And we could count on that change having been authentic and definitive and permanent. But here we're being told, no, like every change is something that is going to be undercut by yet another change. And you just know that whatever, whatever I do next, it won't be what I did last. 
even if it brings me back to somewhere that I initially seem to be trying very hard to escape from. Yeah. So, so that's, that's my read on, on the younger and the change uh, aspect of it. Yeah, you can't step into the same Miley Cyrus twice. Yeah, exactly that. And neither can she. Right. Um, that's a, yeah, I mean, that's an, that's an interesting point. I mean, do you, do you kind of identify country music in general with, with, uh, you know, American quote unquote conservatism, like capital C conservatives? I think so. I think there's a lot of different kinds of country out there. And like, there's a whole, whole brand of sort of bearded hipster alt country, which is, uh, which is very consciously leftist. Right. And of course, there's like the Dixie Chicks and so on. But by and large, if you go by radio stations and album lyrics and album art and political endorsements and stuff like that, country music does seem to be like branding itself after a certain kind of white rural conservative. And that uh, that's by and large what if you had to pick one political meaning for country music, what it would mean. Sure. I mean, it's, it's part of the, it's sort of part of the play acting, right. Of this, this, cause this like heartland white rural conservative identity, uh, is on the wane, like is, you mm-hmm. know, van is a vanishingly small demographic in an America that is increasingly urban and, and the kind of the references to that and the kind of the, the reverence for that involve, uh, always seems to involve a kind of performance, uh, you know, a kind of play acting as though, you know, as though that is the identity that we are actually or should be actually, you know, and uh, involves things like the marketing of, of trucks and things like that. And I guess what you're saying is true for certain certain values of country music. I mean, I think we'd have to carve out ex- exceptions for what you might call bluegrass or certain kinds of like traditional American folk music, string band music, uh, you know, and, st- and stuff like that that that's that's not the kind of the that's not the kind of the nashville hitmaker uh country music yeah i mean i guess there's there's uh there's different ways of thinking of those genres that stuff to me doesn't doesn't become country music yeah. like that, that's a kind of folk music which country music draws on and borrows the signifiers of but to me to be country it needs to first be pop and like Nashville is the the main center of that kind of thing, although not the only one. And you're right, there is like a play acting. So most of those people who live in Nashville like do not drive cattle for a, for a living. Surprisingly enough, yeah. they make music, right? No, yeah, they, they, have, they have song they have songwriting contracts, right? Yeah, yeah. And they don't live in the country. They live in they live in Nashville, which is Music City, USA, right? The city's right there in the title. <laughs> uh, and like you know, if you know what a nudie suit looks like, right? I don't think that that would do too well on the cattle train. But it is a kind of repackaging of that that imagined rural experience kind of glammed up to the baroque baroque max and then sold back to you as a like a, a form of expression and aesthetic and so on all right we're gonna put a we're gonna put a link to some nudie suits in the uh into the uh, show notes for this episode it's not what you're thinking if you don't know what it is yeah, um, it's it's very far from being naked. It's, there's a lot of cloth. <laughs> well, uh, cloth on cloth on cloth on cloth. It's uh, it's cloth all the way down. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, so so if this isn't, I mean, this isn't a country country record. I heard I heard like two, uh, I heard two kind of strains, which I'll call the like the the pop strain and the country strain, right? Like the um, 
the young, younger now, which is kind of a four on the floor beat that uh, is pretty. Uh, you know, and has the kind of hooky singing and production. Um, though it's not particularly raucous, right? It's actually a little, it actually, it feels a little tame, like a little, uh, well, uh, tempo-wise, a lot of pop songs are are slower than than you'd think. You just don't you don't notice because there's so much going on sonically. But like, um, not in tempo, but just in in tone, it seems like ever so slightly muted to me. But then on the the other. Um, you know, on the other end, uh, there's some like, uh, there's some songs like thinking or, or I, I, maybe, um, I would die for you that have more, uh, uh, more like uh, more country vibe. Like there are a couple of like two-step kind of songs or like, uh, you know, halftime sort of whatever. There's one that's even a little, well, and anyway, right? Like, am I am I right in uh, in dividing the album into two camps, or is it more complicated than that? No, I mean, I think that's that's basically right. I mean, One comment, things, comment, please comment on this straw man that I've set up for you. Yeah, definitely, there are some that feel pretty country-ish, um, and definitely there are some people who have sung entire country albums where the only thing that is remotely country-ish about it is that one of them has like a Texas panhandle accent or something (laughs) like that. And it's like straightforward, like, you know, uh, soft rock other than that and or dance pop other than that or whatever it might be. Right. Which, which goes to show that like country isn't really just a musical sound. It's a whole collection of signifiers and ways of presenting and like, you know, networks of production that you tap into, most of which Miley is not really doing here. Um, But I do think that there are some that sound country and there are some that sound like rock. Although I agree that without quite feeling like what you would call soft rock or yacht rock or anything like that, they do tend to have a slightly less abrasive quality to them um, than than what you would want to call rock. And yet they rock harder than what you'd want to call pop. So like, part of what I was saying when I said that this actually impressed me is that I found it very hard to pigeonhole exactly. I think it's really interesting that on the cover she's channeling Elvis so strongly. Yeah. Like, I feel like, uh, although without like quite sounding like Elvis, they maybe sound a lot like what Elvis would have been singing if he had lived to today, which means that, like, sure, there's one foot planted in country, but there's lots of other things going on. I felt like the the Dolly Parton joint was one of the least country sounding uh, Rainbowland, except for the presence of Dolly Parton, which I thought was like a savvy and interesting uh, way to deploy her voice. So there's all kinds of like strange and confounding uh, generic signifiers going on with it. Yeah, I mean that that uh, I don't know. It's almost uh, it's almost like a campfire clap along song, Rainbowland, right? Like. Uh um how how do you hear it how would you describe it when you uh when you when you play it i mean i just felt that um the beat sounded more dance poppy on that one than on a lot of the other things in the album and then yet you have uh dolly parton singing and interestingly dolly is mixed much louder than miley like it's notionally a duet but but miley sings back up um, so then it becomes a Dolly Parton song. And then, of course, Dolly Parton sings country, right? Uh-huh. Like, uh, in that it's Dolly Parton, it becomes country, no matter what it sounds like, almost. Um, 
you know, to, to, to give a comparison that shows my age, when, um, when Nora Jones' second album came out, uh, which was moving away from a kind of like jazz singer thing that she had done in her first towards more of a country sound, she also tapped Dolly Parton to sing a duet with her. Um, and there, that was like legitimately a country song with like uh, one of those kind of like country beats to it and pedal steel guitar, I think, right? And And like... This one is sort of different, right? I, I don't know quite what to what to think of it. Yeah, I mean, it does have that kind of shuffle, sixteenth uh, note, uh, shuffle beat, uh, slightly jangly, slightly jangly quality, right? I suppose, yeah, yeah, that's true. And the the like one of the of like sort of very traditional country music. One of the things that I listen for in it is the one five one five one five bass, right? Like the you know and that uh it's sort of i mean it sort of does it does kind of have that that vibe but i think of it like a lot of the times in in terms of like texture in terms of instrumentation and you know and uh in that sense it is it is a little less it's a little more electrified right than uh than the kind of the the twangy um country texture with the like the uh you know the slides on the on the steel on the the uh slide guitar or pedal steel or something like that and the the um you know the i don't know almost blue note kind of quality to the to the singing um yeah i and like and, and i think instruments are really important like there, there's places on this album where like a fiddle comes in and that like that's a pretty overdetermined signifier that you're somewhere in like the the nashville space uh but but i don't think that's one of the songs that has it unless i unless i just was listening you know was, was doing something else and missed it so rainbow land is one of two songs the other one is inspired that are kind of like social project songs right like inspired is I don't know. It's like the, the echo feminist, uh, ballad. Right. And, um, uh, you know, more, more provocative and, and pathbreaking than anything on Anony's hopelessness, <laughs> <laughs> which statement, which is a false statement. Uh, but, uh, right. Like there is a sort of, I don't know. There, there is a sort of, um, not exactly bifurcation, sort of trifurcation of subject matter. There's songs like Younger Now and Malibu that are about kind of enjoying uh, stability, uh, enjoying maturity, um, you know, uh, getting some of the, uh, uh, like taking advantage or, or realizing some of the upsides of getting older. Um, there are the, like the inspirational songs. And then there's a, there's a, uh, there's a whole bunch of, of sort of heartbreak. There's a whole bunch of like, I miss you so much, uh, songs, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and this strikes me as, as, um, I don't know. I guess one of the singles off Bangers was Wrecking Ball, which is about the end of a, a relationship. But like it, th- there's a little more, there's a little less as there's a little more independence. There's, there's also a little more vulnerability, I think, on this, right? Like, cause you know, it's even, even in a breakup song, like even in a song where she's like crying in the music video, you know, it's pretty invulnerable, a wrecking ball. 
yeah. right? Yeah. And that like uh, something like there are like three or four songs in a row that have the the lyric "I miss you" in them, mm-hmm. and that's uh, in that kind of middle stretch of the record. And and uh, I don't know, it was an, was an interesting thing to me. Do you? I mean, do you hear? Um, you know what, what? What did you? What were your reactions to subject matter? Yeah, it's striking, right? Uh, track four, week without you, uh, like W E E K, right? One week without you. Five, miss you so much. Six, I would die for you, right? And then seven, thinking is like, um, is the the sort of the like, uh, you say she's just a friend song, right? Yeah. It's all about how she has suspicions, um, and then. Uh, She's Not Him is a really interesting breakup song. We should talk about that one a little bit. But yeah, I feel like um, By Weight, this is a breakup album. Yeah. Although not a, you know, it's it's not Beck's sea change. It's not that down. It just like has a lot of these songs where the lyrics are about either a relationship that is kind of toxic or a relationship that is ending. And oddly, the relationship looks better retrospectively. There's a lot of like looking back fondly and then one or two where she's like caught in it and suffering. Yeah. Um, which is which is not a way that I feel like breakup albums usually go. Like usually it's either um, things were so great when we were together, and now I miss you so much, so much, so much, uh-huh. or like things were terrible when we were together, and now that you left, I'm even more of a wreck. The sort of like when we're together, I'm kind of sad, and now I'm looking back on it um, sort of fondly, but feeling like ending it was what had to happen, which is almost what I get from this. Is uh, it's just sort of like. I'm sure there's other stuff out there that does this, but to me, it was a new look. I can't think of another album off the top of my head where that's really the, the takeaway. Sure. Um, um, and then, yeah, the, the Rainbowland and Inspired do feel very, like, social protesty. Um, and in that sense, I kind of, like, rolled my eyes and stopped paying attention to the lyrics. I don't know what that says about me. I do really like the uh, I'm writing down my dreams, all I'd like to see, starting with the bees or else they're going to die. The, uh, the sheer kind of, like... Um, what, what's the term for the mental delusion where you think you're God, right? If I don't write down how I feel about the bees, the bees will die. Yeah. It's <laughs> Well, sure. Yes. If you read that, if you sort of read that literally, like, I mean, what she's, I, I think what she's saying is like, we got to get, we got to get moving on the bees or else they're going to die. But like, that's not, I suppose that's not the, the literal content of what she says. It's, it's, uh, omnipotence, right. Or, or sort of grandiosity. Um, yeah, yeah. is there, I mean, is there a specific word for the delusion where you think you're God, uh, as such, or is it, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, but yeah, that, I mean, that is, that is interesting. I mean, I think it's not, uh, you know, my, my, um, sort of great teacher of poetry, John Hollander, uh, peace be upon him, what used to say something, uh, that I think is, is true, uh, which is that poetry is not journal and poetry is not journalism. And that's, uh, you know, uh, his point being that it's not just a kind of unmediated, um, like, uh, sort of spew of your feelings, right? And, and it's, you know, and it's, it's kind of not about your, your, your feelings or, uh, never, you know, not really in a straightforward way. And it's not like about some like manifest injustice you see in the world, like the, like, you know, colony collapse disorder or something like that, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not, uh, that, that's not sufficient. I mean, those things can be sort of jumping off places, but that, that's not sufficient and that there 
has to be some sort of transformation um, transformation uh, through the medium of language in, into a, a kind of um, you know into the thing that that poetry does, which is to sort of draw sounds into a draw sounds into kind of ad hoc nonce meanings that are uh, superstructures atop their literal meanings, and that like. Um, that the, what, the one reason you can stop listening to the lyrics to Rainbow Land or Inspired is because that doesn't happen, right? Like they they mean there isn't a secondary, uh, like metaphorical level. You know, they mean exactly what they mean, and to the extent that there are, you know, to the extent that like Rainbow Land is uh, a plea for gay rights, right? Like the 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 metaphorical. Um, the sort of the the kind of metaphorical work is is minimal yeah it's interesting because like were it not that the rainbow was a uh, a badge of gay rights then that could work i feel like if you go back to true colors like that song does make the rainbow a, a valid metaphor but at this point like the the life's been drained out of it right it's it's too much um it's become not enough of a metaphor and too much of like a indexical sign. Right. So that like, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the, and I mean, even on, on true colors, uh, it was, um, they're, they're sort of metaphorical true colors, right? Like true colors actually means true personality. And so when you say beautiful, like a rainbow, you're actually doing something that is in figurative terms, a lot more interesting than sure, the sort yeah. of like this sort of rainbow flag equals gay rights, um, sort of thing, right? Like as important as the, as that issue is, it doesn't make, uh, it doesn't necessarily make, uh, make art. Um, yeah, uh, the bees. Well, hold on. Let me. I, I'm. I'm gonna need to. Uh, I'm gonna need to write it. Write this down. Um, the single, then the song with the music video was Malibu, which is you know Miley hanging out on the beach. The the video is Miley hanging out on the uh, the beach in in Malibu. Um, I you know I don't know what were your what were your uh, what were your impressions. About that one. So I do think that that one's kind of interesting in that, like, maybe because it comes right after Younger, where I got the sense, okay, so this is an album about how, even though she's in the present, she's sort of reliving her past and pretending that she is in the past. Um, I kind of felt for some reason, and I'm sort of scanning over the lyrics now, I'm not sure if there's uh, that much of a reason for it that this Malibu thing is also in the past. Right. Mm-hmm. That, um, so that like, it's not that she's on the ocean in Malibu now, but like she's thinking back to a time when she was there with this person. Right. Um, so that even though it very clearly says, here I am next to you, the sky is more blue in Malibu, right here I am. I cast that retrospectively for some time, for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's true that like, if you get into the verses, we watched the sun go down as we were walking. I'd spent the rest of my life standing there talking. You would, you would explain the current, right? Like in the past, as yeah. I just smile, hoping you'll stay the same and nothing will change. And it'll be us just for a while. Right. Um, 
And even then, at the end of that line, I never would have believed you if three years ago you told me I'd be here writing this song. So, like, the discourse around this, Genius tells me, is that this is about, like, she was engaged to Liam Hemsworth, and then they broke up, and then they got back together. Uh, so maybe they were in Malibu before, and now they're back. But there's this interesting, like temporal disjunction between the opening lyric, I never came to the beach or stood by the ocean. I never sat by the shore, right? So prior to that, it had never happened. And then by verse two, it's retrospective in the past. So to me, this was kind of part of that broader project. There is this more innocent, more idyllic Miley somewhere in the past, which she is now gesturing back towards and trying to recapture. Yeah, I mean, like, at what, when did she never... Like when did the when did the ocean the uh, never coming to the beach streak end? Right? Did it end three years ago uh, when when she and Loki were engaged? Or I mean, I just call him that because he's the brother of Thor. But the yeah. uh, but uh, right is that it or does is it? Um... Well, I think that it's like the, the beach... I mean, I think I think there's something to your point. I think there's something complicated with kind of multiple lenses and multiple time periods going on at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And I would also say that although there's a fair amount of beach specific imagery in this one, I spent very little time thinking of actual beaches um, aside from the Nicholas Sparks movie that she's in where she saves turtles on a beach. Um, <laughs> but uh, like it's more the notion of beach as vacation. Right. Like sort of in the way that the Beach Boys talk about beaches, it's not really beaches. It's it's like youth and uncomplicated pleasure and freedom and sort of a relaxed oneness with your environment where there are other young, attractive people floating around. Right? Sure. I mean, it's, in, it's not uh, it's not nature poetry. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Fair enough. Like that. That said, in Los Angeles, uh, it is as as a teenager, it is a free activity with no age limit. Yeah. And and so you uh you get to you know you you do spend a lot of time um or it is like always kind of an option uh if you live in if you live near the coast in, in Los Angeles to kind of like just be um to sort of be at the beach. I mean I wonder like I think this like talks about like a a early early Disney careerist Miley Right. The the uh, first generation, the kind of the first emergence of adult Miley, uh, you know, let's call it 2012, something like that. Um, The kind of Liam Hemsworth engagement, Miley, Uh, Mm -hmm. the bangers area and now the kind of re reclaiming of that. Right. Like what. So it's I mean, it's interesting, like what it's interesting how the it's interesting how the bangers era is recontextualized. Right. It's kind of re narrativized in in some of this stuff, because like it's sort of uh the way she describes it is like I feel younger now. I feel like the the years have like fallen away. A big weight's off my shoulder, right? Um, uh, in this song, now I'm free as birds catch in the wind. Um, you know, uh, the uh, in the other song, like I, you know, I know uh, who who I was. I don't I don't disclaim that person, but that's not right. That's not me anymore. Like, is the bangers? It, but a lot of it is is like in a language of kind of constraint uh, versus freedom, and that like you know this this presumably 
she was the driver of this this you know image movement to to ratchet Miley. I mean, because there must have been a lot of people telling her not to do it. Sure. Uh, uh, here it's it's presented like it was a mistake, right? right? Like, yeah, uh, or and, that it was like, that it was externally imposed. I guess is what I'm mm-hmm. getting at. That like, so, like someone trapped. I was trapped in this in this thing. I guess that doesn't that can be like you can be trapped in something that you kind of generate yourself. But but uh, something that that uh, she was she was trapped in and now is now is free from. And that's I mean that's a sort of interesting that's an interesting thing to me. Like the the idea that she was not she was in some sense not in control or not responsible. Yeah, or or that like it was a a square, uh, uh, sorry, a, a round hole, and she was a square peg, and she was like trying really hard to live up to those expectations, and now can finally like let her hair down and be, and of course, then the punchline is this intensely constructed rock star persona, right, of like sort of perfect feminine mystique and yada yada yada, uh, all of the ways in which she is constructed. Um, but that's but that's always been part of that particular mystique is that it's supposed to be natural, right? Uh, so she's just relaxing into this script, having discarded that old script, which although there are certain things about it that like, you know, she's she's not uh, she's not actively disclaiming it. She is saying that it doesn't fit her and uh, and that like really, really, this was what she was the whole time. Yeah, which is not which is not necessarily the like uh, Her- Heraclitean um, right sort of model, you know, of uh, of all things are all things are changing. What she's saying is that that um, you know the it, deep inside was Elvis Miley trying to get out. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, whole, it's not like this time. is another. It's not like this is another contingent pose in a series of contingent poses, none of which is any more real than any other. So right. It's not postmodern in that sense. It's like. Like, that was the old me, this is the new me, this is the real me. Which is, I think there's something very, like, very of the moment about that, that every time somebody says they're reinventing themselves, what they're supposed to be doing is uh, returning to type. And even when you have somebody, like, being revealed to be different in a bad way. Like the, the Taylor Swift thing with like the, the revelation that she is this, uh, you know, um, f- judging from her most recent round of music videos, a malevolent snake goddess of some kind, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> right? Like, it's not like this is something that she has suddenly become. This is what she always was is sort of the way that that story is being passed around in the, uh, in the, in the media. If you ever thought that she was an ingenue who liked to listen to country music and write sad guitar songs about boys, like you, you're a wrong, you're so wrong. You're, you're such a, such a mark. You must know that when she was like 15, she was already plotting how she would eventually engineer the downfall of Kim Kardashian or something like that. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Is like sort of that that's the reductio ad absurdum of the discourse so here with miley she's saying like oh i was never actually ratchet right yeah um and yet there's other songs that have a more complicated relationship with it than that so can we talk about she's not him a little bit yes Liz, please uh so i mean well first of all you go like what, what do you think what do you think is the point you know poetic theorist of you're not him she's not him yeah uh that that right i i was sort of wondering i mean i was sort of wondering about that if this is some sort of like uh uh post gender non oriented uh relationship that she's sort of mourning uh 
mourning the loss of. Um, I mean, it seems to be pretty objectively, it's a like a breakup song, a wistful breakup song to a girl that she is leaving for a guy, right? Yeah. Like, th- that's that's just sort of like the, the surface level. Um, and I think that that's interesting because she's on the one hand sort of identifying herself as pansexual, which she is openly, which is a very kind of like left-leaning move, but then she's also saying, but I'm going to be with a guy, which is a kind of conservative gesture. Sure. But I'm thinking specifically as a poet, why say you're not him, she's not him? Right, yeah, because the the, the address is to two different people, is to two different audiences, right? Like that's, you, that's, you, you have to imagine a turn of the head, right? Like uh, she's in the scene, she's in character, she's talking uh, to uh, the, the woman she's leaving, and she, she says to her, you're not him. And then uh, turns to the camera, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Breaks the fourth wall, like does a little uh, nod of the head to the side to indicate, you know, by uh, by jerk of the head who she's talking about, and says she's yeah. not him, you know. Yeah. Does a does a Zach Morris esque timeout gesture with her hands? What is it? There's and, a uh, name for that. Is that called apostrophe? Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. Um, isn't it just isn't it just either aside or soliloquy? Yeah, we, oh, in drama, yeah, in in like epic poetry or something like that. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh no, sorry, apostrophe. Uh, sorry, apostrophe is uh, is when you break off the narrative to do. Um, or yeah, yeah. When you break off the narrative to address a thing or a person who is absent, right? Like, uh, uh, I I ate a hot dog the other day. So beautiful it was. Oh, hot dog, noblest of all uh, force meats, uh, noblest of all the sausages. How I wish I could have you back again. Right? That's that's apostrophe. Yeah. Direct address to the audience. I think has a different yeah. uh, has a different name. If it had been, she's not him, you're not him, that would be apostrophe. But uh, but it's mostly ad- addressed to the absent lover or like the lover that she's breaking up with. And then there's this one turn to the audience where it stops being that direct address. Yeah. Well, so my, my, like, as I was, my heteronormative assumption, right? Like, as I was listening to this, not so closely on, on the first time through and didn't really hear the, uh, the verse all that clearly I heard going to miss you. Uh, like all this stuff, you know, you're not him. She's not. And I thought me, right? Like, uh, that is, it's sort of, comparing it's comparing like a uh an actual it's comparing an actual couple to a sort of fantasized or hypothesized uh couple that like uh that is the that is the sort of ideal version um but it's not you know it's not that it actually sort of stays it sort of stays very uh yeah it 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 sort of takes um it sort of takes the the thing and and but the 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 you know it's it's interesting like the 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 um it's interesting the kind of how how sort of retrograde uh are this song's politics right or is this song's politics i guess i should say right like the the um uh 
the idea that it's it's like uh, it's it's not that you're not a man, right? Like, and I'm settling down. It's like you're not him. It's I, I think the claim would be it's comparing identity to identity, and that in this sort of non-binary pansexual. Uh, um, the, the 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 you know worldview right we have to we sort of can't we we have to compare um we have to compare individuals kind of irreducibly yeah. rather than rather than thinking of them as members of categories sure so that rather than comparing apples to apples and oranges and oranges you compare those plums that were in the ice box and are so sweet and so cold to this particular grecian urn right As everything everything is like a, a monadic isolate and there are no classes and yet let me let me argue back a, a much more uh, cynical um reading of it it the fact that the the alternate text is she's not him right um, and for some reason, I think that it matters that musically, the you're not him and she's not him are identical, right? Uh, it's like, like you're not him, she's not him, without any attempt to vary the voice at all. You could think of it as just the pronouns, right? Like, you're not him. Those are the particular people, you and this absent he. She's not him is comparing the grammatical parts of speech. So that, like, the reason that, uh, the reason that you're not good for me is that there's no way that a she will ever be a him, in which case that's, you know, that's, uh, that's definitely, um, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's hella problematic, right? Um, and, and yet, like, I don't know. There's something about the flatness. Of I mean, it. it's 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 hella problem, problematic, but it's like axiomatically true, right? <laughs> like the, just because those categories, just in the in the like the the early structuralist kind of nev- negative definition of language, like uh, 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 Ferdinand de Saussure, Corps de Linguistique Générale, right? The the language is the terms are defined by what they're not, you know, and uh, <laughs> she is sort of defined by being not a him. Not not a he, and he is defined by being sort of not not a she, right? And so, so she's. It's just that she's she's caught she's caught too much in the kind of the early twentieth century uh, French linguistics, and she didn't quite make it into the late twentieth century French linguistics, yeah. where like she is always already him. Yeah. Well, and or or you could think of it in like a a gender performance way, right? Like the fact that Miley had identified not as bi, but as pansexual suggests that like, okay, sure, we have these categories, she and him, but like any person can traverse any path uh, into or around those binaries, right? So although yes, she will never be him, you could absolutely be she or him or some kind of, or or both or neither, Uh right? Um, and there's something almost kind of like, um, I think that my, I, I don't want to say that this is like such a horrible slam on Miley, because if this is what she has sincerely felt in her heart of hearts, like that's, that's her experience and whatever, but like, it seems, it <laughs> yeah, seems heart of heart of hearts, whatever, yeah, you know, it, it seems like this is someone who for ideological reasons wanted to say gender is nothing but a label and I'm going to love this person because I love this person and uh, and this person, I'm not going to use a gendered noun, has all of these wonderful characteristics, that, those eyes, that tongue, those teeth, that face, that body, right? Yeah, yeah then, those, are, those are the big five. 
Yeah, yeah. And and then uh, has sort of like been forced to come to terms with the fact that actually she wants a guy, right? That that she is not him and that you are not him and that these things are sort of the same, right? That it's not like you're not him and it has nothing oh, to do yeah, with Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so oh that's that's interesting cuz you're you're sort of collapsing the your not himness and the she not himness, right? Yeah, and, and, and also yeah. the two kinds of him, right? Him that guy and him the male category. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, um, and, and then the music does the work of making those two statements, like not just rhyming, but actually identical. Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't rhyme, really. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's why you're the poetic theorist and I'm just the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> just, the just the musicologist. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, well, th- that... Right, that is, sort of, that is sort of interesting, right? Like, what if, you know... Uh, right, yeah, because you have to sort of evaluate that. I guess you sort of have to evaluate this sort of thing on a case-by-case basis. Like, hey, we're all non-binary now. We're all non-oriented. We're all, like, uh, we're all pansexual, everything. You know, I just happen to, to prefer relationships with members of the opposite sex. But maybe I just haven't found the right, the right him yet, right? And I'm, j- I'm on uh, all these she's just because of their, their individual qualities and, and uh, not because anything... Uh, having to do with their having to do with their sheeness, right? Like that is, you know, I, I feel like that sort of, if you take that sort of claim, right. Someone who made that sort of claim seriously, it's probably because, or, or without like a little, uh, a little impulse to question it. It's probably because your ideological commitments, you know, uh, prevent you from looking into it too, too deeply. Yeah, yeah. And, and you might want to say, like, you might want to just go ahead and cop to it and say, like, for ideological reasons, I am leaving myself open to the possibility that that I might be sexually flexible in all of these various ways. Um, but I can't deny that, like, empirical research leads to, to these particular findings. So anyway, I think that it's a, an interesting and sad and complicated song. And again, I was like, I don't think it has the, uh, the most attractive melody of everything, of, of anything <laughs> on the album, but I, I do think that it's like the most, the most interesting one, um, in part because it is like slightly, um, slightly not quite the politics that I would most want to endorse, right? Even though I think that it's still basically coming from a place of like accepting all sorts of different people and being open to sexual exploration and so on. It doesn't sound like a song that Mike Pence would have a lot of use for, right? Uh. Um, So so I don't want to come down too hard on it on not being woke. Um, But I I still think it's interesting. Well, right. Like, you know, I don't know. I think that like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's again, like to me, like I, I think that that kind of doing your, your um just kind of like doing your ideological commitments performatively tends to make for for bad art um auden famously said poetry makes nothing happen and and i mean of course he was wrong but it never makes the things happen that you plan to uh have it make happen and like uh poetry makes nothing happen was at a time when uh was said those words were uttered at a time when when uh, a lot of ideologically committed uh artists were wanted poetry to make very specific things uh happen 
you know, vis-a-vis revolutionary politics in, in certain parts of the world. And, uh, it was not having that effect. Um, yeah. and that, so that, so that like, uh, I'm not, so I, my point, my point is like, I, my point is what is the, you know, I don't know what, what is the case for kind of denouncing and that's, it's not what you're doing, but what would be the case for denouncing a song on sort of ideological grounds because it's politics are not necessarily what you'd want to endorse unless you, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I guess this song is kind of making the, uh, what we, what we think is, is a political claim. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's like, like you said, that's not what I'm doing. What I always find interesting about the politics of poetry is that, like, it feeds back into the aesthetics, right? Uh, that a, in some ways I prefer a song that is politically objectionable because then I feel a certain way about the politics, and then that becomes part of the aesthetic experience, right? And that's really what I'm judging. So when I say that there's something about the aesthetics here that I'm not, like, totally comfortable with, um, I say that from a, a place of, like, of sympathy and interest, and I feel like it actually is a stronger text aesthetically for it. Like, it's, it's a sadder breakup song, because at least the Miley persona seems to be kind of, like, abandoning a cherished hope that she had, that she was actually that that fluid, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it gets to be kind of heartbreaking. Like, why... Uh, why can't I love you is something that she says. Right. Um, yeah. And like, you know, for, for reasons fairly unrelated, that's a thought that I've had in my life about people. And like it, it took me back to that. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a God awful feeling. Um, and then the, the particularly sort of kind of political milieu that it's being played out in. If you think about, uh, about like, people's sexual choices is political, which I think you sort of have to today if you're paying attention, um, like gives it an extra layer of, of desperation to it, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's my, that's my takeaway. It, I don't know. Yeah. That, well, that is, is certainly a, a sort of much more nuanced, uh, position. And I guess like it, it's a pretty generous, it would be a pretty generous reading of a couple lines. Like, uh, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, I just can't fall in love with you. Cause you're not him like that. Th- th- maybe, maybe in there somewhere is the kind of the coming to terms with the idea that my, my actual experience, the person who I, who I am doesn't coincide with the the person I would design if I could sort of if I could you know uh, customize myself according to my I could customize my actual experiential preferences according to my ideological commitments and that is yeah. a you know uh, that that is kind of an interesting uh, that is yeah. a kind of interesting thing to to go through yeah I think more so actually uh, in one of the verses like I want to love you baby I'm sorry and maybe it's beyond my control some sort of chemical reaction making it p- impossible to let him go, which sort of makes it into a mind-body dualism thing, right? Mm. Uh, the, the, will, the will is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sure. Right? Uh, the will is willing, but the flesh is straight. The spirit is willing. Sorry, that's that's the quote. Yeah, the spirit is willing. Yeah, the fil- the spirit is willing, but the the flesh is straight. Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, with that, I mean, I I don't know. I hope we've made the case for this being an album that is, you know, perhaps not one that that sets the world on fire perhaps not the most pathbreaking uh work of art but one that that certainly you know deserves 
attention and consideration. Um, you know, and, uh, and that you should, uh, you should do something like you shouldn't write emails while you listen to it because you'll yeah. miss the, uh, uh, you'll miss a lot of the, the nuance and the details and you'll be rewarded for looking into it a little more deeply. Yeah. There, there are some subtle little musical things too, with like the kind of layering that they do, the kind of mixing that they do. Um, I thought that there was a very interesting variation on the millennial whoop in a couple of songs. So yeah. So g- give it an honest shot. That's what I'd say. Uh, thanks Jordan for uh, talking about this record with me. You're very welcome. And uh, we'll be back with more TFT podcast next week. Until then, uh, you know, whether whether it's just a series of uh, contingent poses or whether it's the you that you've been all along. Keep it real.